Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the political party. Firstly, happy new year. I hope you had a good Christmas. I hope you're having a great start to the year. Um, and that you are excited uh, about another thrilling year in politics. Today's guest is Dan Hodges uh, from the Mail on Sunday, but so much more as well. He's written for the New Statesman. He's written his own book. He's involved in all sorts of things, and he's led a fascinating life. And we we talk about that in some detail about his upbringing, uh, his mum Glenda Jackson, the Oscar-winning actor and and a former Labour MP, and the effect or otherwise, uh, that that had on him politically and where his own politics are and how he sees politics. It's just a brilliant conversation about being a political columnist, uh, what it's like to work for the Mail on Sunday, where his own politics are, his view of politics, whether he's ever been that ideological or tribal. Uh, it really is wonderful. And uh, he's a phenomenal talker, as, as gifted a talker as he is a writer. And uh, just such a great guest to start the new year with, and particularly with... The way politics is going, it's fascinating that um, I'm sure Dan wouldn't mind me saying this. It's obvious, really, if you follow him on social media, you're familiar with who he is. Not enamoured with the previous uh, leadership of the Labour Party. So in a really interesting position, writing for the Mail on Sunday to 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 give his perspective on um, the likelihood of a Labour victory and how Labour do it and, and all those things. Um, the live shows return in just a few weeks and there's only a handful of tickets left for a couple of these shows. Uh, on Monday, the 23rd of January, my guests are Emily Maitlis and John Soport. There aren't many tickets left for that. I'll be able to announce the guests for the 6th of February soon. On the 20th of February, my guest is Keir Starmer. There aren't many tickets left for that. My guest on the 6th of March is Eddie Izzard, and tickets for that are going very, very quickly as well. And uh, guests for the 20th of March onwards will be announced soon. Some mega guests coming up, so go uh, to mattford.com. I've also put a link uh, in the blurb where you can buy tickets for future shows and also a link where you can buy Dan's book, One Minute to Ten, um, about the 2015, the night of the 2015 election, which is a real uh, thriller uh, about that night. So uh, without further ado... um, here is Dan Hodges. Delighted to be joined by Dan Hodges uh, from the Mail on Sunday. But, but Dan, that doesn't really that doesn't really fully encapsulate it, does it? You know, when you say oh, that's, that's only one of my that's only one of my many cri- political crimes, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah, 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 part yeah. of my my rap sheet. I mean, it doesn't really. I think it's really interesting that because previously. Now, when I'd have been about 18, if I'd have heard a, a columnist's name and then the organ that they worked for, I would have made all sorts of presumptions about their politics. But I don't think that's true with you, is it? I mean, you, you're not a typical Daily Mail or Mail on Sunday columnist. You've had a rich and varied political background. I mean, where would you place yourself on the political spectrum now? Well, I, I, as ever with these things, there's the sort of the cliche that, you know, you, st- you know, we all stay where we are and politics moves around us. I mean, I still uh regard myself as as one of those you know that 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 sort of worst of all of of, of the political 
uh, tribes. I, you know, I'm still a pretty much a died in the wool centrist, to, to, to be honest. Um, which is which is quite a difficult gig in in the modern political environment, but you know it is it is what it is, and there's no point me trying to pretend I'm uh, I'm, I'm I'm something I'm not. I mean it's I mean I, I've got to say I mean you know one of the things why I you know really enjoy uh, uh, writing for the Mail on Sunday in the Mail is it is you know we do actually have quite a diverse range of a you know range of opinions, and you know whenever I sort of speak to people about this you know i you know i always say look you only need to go back to the referendum where you know the mail on sunday was advocating remain and the daily mail was was advocating leave to give it so you know i'm fortunate you know i'm working at a newspaper where there is a lot of space and i do have the space to basically say or or or, or write what i think which is which is obviously what any commentator wants really Obviously, the centre is quite a big place, really. I mean, in the last few years, it, it, it may have felt like it um, wasn't hugely represented in Parliament. But if you consider, you know, the, the centre, anything from Neil Kinnock to to maybe even Ian Duncan Smith on the right, there's a broad spectrum of different uh, politics within there. I mean, do you see yourself as on the left of the centre, the centre of the centre or the right of the centre? Uh, to be perfectly honest, I mean, again, it, you know, whenever I say this, you know, people say it's cop out. It, it's just I, I genuinely it's a cliche because you can't I, I can't, generally can't pitch myself in any particular particular space. So, I mean, I don't know the last, you know, the last few weeks, you know, what have I been thinking? I've been thinking, you know, actually, you know, I wrote a piece and I think, you know, I think the government should go try and push ahead with the Rwanda scheme to just try and do something to deal with this, you know, the horrendous scene we're seeing in the English Channel, which I know a lot of people would say that puts me on the extreme right. Similarly, I was arguing at the time of Partygate, actually, you know what, I think Boris should go. That puts me on, you know, the woke, the woke left. So, you know, <laughs> I mean, I don't, uh, you know, I just really, you know, some people say, you know, there's this great thing, you know, everyone says, oh, you know, I'm politically homeless now. You know, I'm not. I wouldn't sound politically homeless. I'm sort of a bit of a political, I don't know, global traveller, if you like. If you like, you know, you know. I suppose that's how that's how I try and sort of rather inarticulately sum it up. That's quite nice. It gives you a bit more agency over your homelessness, I guess. You're sort of choosing to move. I can lay my hat. I can lay my hat anywhere, you know, which uh, which is uh, which is uh, which is which is quite nice. But did you ever go through uh, like a teenage radical phase? Were you ever? Would you have ever described yourself as a socialist or a communist or a Marxist or anything like that? God, no. I mean, when I was, that's much too deep for me. No, I, um, when I was growing up, I mean, uh, I, I wasn't, I mean, I, I was sort of, I was, I was politically aware in that sense because my mum was politically active and my dad was, 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 was quite, he wasn't active politically, but he was quite political in a, um, in a sense, but no, I mean, I was, I, I, I was just I was very sort of unenergized by by politics, and then gradually, I just think it's a product of my environment, and you know, product of growing up in the eighties. Politics was was all around you. Thatcherism was around you. The backlash against Thatcherism was all around you. So, in that sense, I sort of developed um, a political uh, a political awareness. But I was always, I was always more fascinated in. The mechanics of politics, the process of of, of, of politics. Um, I was always fascinated by the media. That was what I always actually would, would quite wanted to go into. I was always fascinated by writing, 
Um, so that was kind of sort of where my sort of political consciousness, so it, was, it was a broader thing rather than any any sort of particular thing. I didn't have a sort of like, like a Matt Hancock sort of like Damascene sort of moment when the bailiffs came knocking or whatever it was that, you know, uh, you know, that, that suddenly gave me a sort of great political, my, a sort of a great political epiphany. You mentioned your mum there, very special woman, Glenda Jackson, not only a Labour MP, of course, uh, but an Oscar winner as well. I mean, that must have been incredible growing up with her as your mum. And she was a star in in two fields. Yeah, it was it was it was fantastic. <laughs> it was fantastic. I mean, again, you I know you're supposed to say, "Oh God," you know. Oh, I look at it from the outside, and you, it looks great. But inside, all this pressure. Also, I loved it. I mean, I, I just loved it. I was, you know, you know, my mum was sort of doing films abroad, and I was going abroad and and you know seeing her do that and meeting all these people I saw on TV and all that sort of stuff it was fair, no it was it was it was you know it was wonderful um uh, obviously now one has to has to one has to sort of acknowledge one's privilege which I'm perfectly perfectly happy to do it was wonderful it was, I was in, had an incredibly privileged upbringing and I loved every minute of it I've got to be honest <laughs> she I mean she was kind of on the left really of, of the labor party was she um doesn't sound like she was too political at home, given given that you didn't feel that politicised at a young age, apart from you know being immersed in Thatcherism and everything that was happening at the time. So was she not one of those political parents who was talking about politics around you know the? No, I mean it was more it was more current affairs and obviously politics forms apart. But you know we I wasn't we weren't sitting there like you know reading tracks and marks you know uh, before bedtime or anything anything like that. I mean you say she's on the on on, on the left. I think she she ended up on the left in a sense as a product of sort of new laborism, new labor's journey, the Blair journey. Um, but she was always a political pragmatist. She was always somebody, you know, she was very much rooted in a sort of uh, working class upbringing in Birkenhead and had a very sort of that sort of, uh, sort of, if you like, sort of a small C sort of conservative labor tradition. Um, that sort of an element, of small C sort of working class, um, socialism, if you like, and but she was always very much, you know, part of that group that thought, you know, screw the debates and screw all the abstract arguments. You know, you need a Labour government if you want to do anything and you want to help people. You need a Labour government, and obviously everything that flew, that sort of flowed from that. You worked for her for a bit. I mean, that must have been a thrill, really. Was that based in Parliament? Oh yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I was. <laughs> I was like, I was a nepo baby before it was <laughs> before it was fashionable or or infamous or whatever it was. Yeah, I was the original nepo baby. No, it was. Yeah, I mean, it was it was great because I mean, it's, it, I mean, it, it was a fantastic. It's just a fantastic environment to work in Parliament. I mean, anyone who's worked there knows it's incredibly, incredibly um, exciting environment, and it was just a fantastic time to to be there because you know I was lucky. I I started working for my mum. Uh, when she was elected in 92. And so I was there for the whole of that parliament between 92 and 97. And so saw that, you know, saw the, 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 the you know, the major government eventually, you know, falling apart and obviously the the, the rise of new Labour and obviously the, the the election victory. And it was a really fascinating and, and, and exciting time. And, you know, that's still, um, I mean, I'm sure we'll come on to it in a second, that, you know, that sort of excitement and energy, I mean, it's the it's you know fair play of Keir Starmer what he's done, but I think that's the one thing that I would say, harking back, that just seems to be slightly missing from the Starmer project at the moment. But yeah, no, it was it was it was a, it was a wonderful time. And that period then, 
are you saying to him, well, I quite like this Blair guy, he seems amazing. And obviously being the pragmatist that you described, she's keen to have a Labour government. But perhaps was your slight political departure from her um, happening around that time? Not, not at that time. I mean, I think, no, I mean, we were, um, you know, she, as a lot of people at the time, I mean, if you, re- well, let's go back. You remember there was obviously uh, when, when, when John died, there was obviously the moment, do you go with Blair, do you go with Brown? And she was very clear. We, I mean, she very much likes Gordon, respects Gordon, probably closer to Gordon politically uh, than she was to Tony, but realised that Tony was what what Labour needed at that time. And so, you know, in terms of me and her, we were on on the same on the same page. I think it's fair to say, over the last few years, um, as I started, you know, writing for the the Mail and, and and had my own sort of particular centrist take. I think it's fair to say that there have been a few moments where our um our sort of our political perspectives have, 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 have diverged. I think what was it the other day? She said to me, "You're a well, you're a bloody idiot, aren't you?" <laughs> and I tweeted it. So so to this day, I get people tweeting, "Your mum hates you. Your mum hates you." <laughs> I try and explain it's it's political rather than personal, but uh, yeah, no. So no, there have been some. There has been a parting of the ways, shall we say, on, on, on certain areas. And around that time, then, I mean, you're, you're working in Parliament, 92 to 97, Labour are coming in. There's then a whole load of new, as in new Labour, but also fresh Labour MPs. At, at that point, did you think, oh, my God, I, I'd actually like to work in Parliament long term or, or even stand for Parliament myself? Uh, I, I would love to. I mean, I'd love to. Have sta- I'd love to have sort of stayed on long term, done sort of some sort of advisor role. But the way it worked out, sadly, the, the nepotism only reached so far. So that didn't quite. That didn't quite. Uh, I couldn't ever quite manage to to swing that one. Although I'd loved it, absolutely no desire at all to be an MP. I think you know, and I've got a lot of respect for them all. And you know, ninety nine point nine percent of them are good people. Who, who are primarily there to do the best for the country. But God almighty, what a, it's just a, a, it's a thankless, it's a thankless job at the best of times. If you said to me, Dan, you can become an MP on Thursday and then on Friday you can be foreign secretary or, you know, you can be, uh, you can be defence secretary or something like that. That might be quite fun. All right. <laughs> but that's not how it works. And people don't see the proper the, the, the forget the abuse for a second just the day to day how hard the long hours how just just difficult it is if you want to be a good mp if you want to be a bad mp you can busk it but if you want to be a good mp it really is hard work and frankly it's that's not for me hard work like that is not for me i'm afraid so i'll i'll leave that those who are much more public publicly sort of publicly minded uh, public service minded than i am do you think you you sort of understood that quicker than most because your mum was one and and you saw the effect on on her yeah i mean she was obviously you know she was obviously very robust and she had if you like she brought the armor into parliament that she'd had from being uh, a high profile uh, public figure before she was elected and that was um you know and that was you know that was that was useful for her um, but yeah, I mean, you see, you know, you see close hand what the, you know, what the day, what the day to day grind of politics is. And it's hard. Um, 
it's all in it's all encompassing you know i remember at the time people were saying is she still going to be is she going to go carry on acting while she's being an mp and she always said she can't you know you can't be a part-time mp and you said you can't be a part-time actress so if you want to do it well so so there was that and also you know a lot of pmp is mind-numbingly boring you know a lot of it is you know it's the you know it's the a lot of it is like just sitting on the back benches for hours on end waiting to you know waiting to speak you're like a sort of the political equivalent of being a cop on a stakeout you know a lot of it mm-hmm. is just like nothing going on and endless cups of coffee waiting for something to happen you know so. <laughs> but then you're obsessed with politics so then you think are oh, you making a conscious decision you think oh, i love this arena and i'm and i'm so it, it, sort of enamored and stimulated by it but i don't want to go into it myself so i'll write about it instead well, I think two things. Firstly, I'm, I, what I would say is I'm fascinated by politics. I don't necessarily I'm obsessed by it. I mean, I think to be obsessed by it, you really have to, you know, you have to be prepared to, you know, go to the meetings, deliver the leaflets, all that sort of stuff. And I just wasn't, it wasn't for, you know, that 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 wasn't for me. Um, as I said, I'm always was always fascinated by the mechanics of politics and what happens behind the scenes and how, and you know, what happens when you pull back the curtain. In terms of the writing, I mean, I'd always wanted to, I just enjoy writing. I mean, a lot of people obviously get into writing, you know, because they want to do good or change the world or, you know, have some great positive influence. None of that for me. I just actually like writing. Just I just like the process of writing. Um, and I just, I mean, I literally stumbled in, in into it by accident. Um, you know, I remember um, one day, uh, I think, you remember Sean Simon, the former Labour MP, former MEP, who I knew quite well, and he set up this uh, this this blog. It was quite new, obviously quite new at the time to have a you know, this this website, this blog, um, uh, Labour Uncut. And yeah. somebody who was it? Um, John Crudders had been supposed to be writing an article for him, and John being John, he'd obviously not done it <laughs> about the fifteenth time. So he had a gap, and 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 Sean said, "Look, I've got a gap. Can just write something, write anything." Um, just to fill this gap. So I wrote it and he said, brilliant. All right, I like that. We'll have more of it. And it just kind of spiraled from there. So that was kind of a sort of an accidental thing, really. That's amazing. I had no idea that's how effectively yeah. your, your a phenomenal career in journalism had started. Well, thank you. I think some of the people may, would, would probably describe it differently. But um, yeah, it was literally, I mean, I literally, I was in, I was having a meet with somebody in, in Port Cullis House one day and Sean was there and we had a cup of coffee and that was it. So, you know. Because Sean Simon and Tom Watson, the, the thing I remember most about Sean was Simon's early online forays was the video he did pretending to be David Cameron that got him into a lot of trouble. But do you remember? I mean, but you know, people get like Tom and Sean, they were the they were the cutting, they were the new wave, they were the cutting edge, they were the zeitgeist, they were the, you know, blogging. I remember, you know, him say, was it's that video I'm sitting there. My mate, remember what he was saying, you know, my mate, my mate Tommy Watson, he's a proper blogger. Not like you, Cameron, you fake blogger, you. That was, you know, that was bad. And, they, and he was, and they were. They were. It's, it's sort of moved on a bit since then. It hasn't. That, that sort of grassroots stuff, I mean, I, I really enjoyed. There was there was Labour Uncut, there was Labour Home, there was Conservative, obviously Conservative Home is still going, but there was just, a, I guess, Guido was part of that as well, and there was Recess yeah, Monger, yeah. sort of all these yeah. just blogs started, and you just could get more colour there and more... Detail. I guess there was slightly more gossip, but there was also just—it was just like a deeper well of stuff about the cultures of those political movements. It, 
I mean, I don't know whether at the time it occurred to you you were part of something very exciting and fresh or whether you were just enjoying writing for yourself. Well, I was enjoying writing for myself. I mean, I, I, I mean, also, I remember, you know, it, I, I remember the absolute terror the first time you ever, because obviously I'd done a lot of writing, I'd written articles, but they'd always gone out of my mum's name or someone else I was working for, done speeches. But, the, you know, the, I mean, you will have experienced this, you know, the first time you actually write an article in your own name and press send, it's, it's the most, it's the most terrifying um you know experience you can you, you, you can go through um but no i mean certainly i mean when i was with labor uncut i mean i think i mean labor uncut's still going still doing some some very good stuff i think um but then i got started with the telegraph blogs and that was the telegraph blogs was i think i think that was the first time sort of one of the mainstream outlets had actually got sort of bought into the blogging phenomenon and that was really fun. I mean, that was because we were, you know, we had a completely diverse group of people. There was me, there was Oborn, there was God, God knows who were, was there. And, you know, and that was fun because we were, again, we were sort of leading the way with that. And there was all, you know, and, and, and the thing was you could turn stuff around very quickly. You know, that was the real thing you were doing. You know, you were writing stuff in real time, which had obviously hadn't, hadn't happened before. So that was that was good, obviously led to some of my, more unfortunate, <laughs> erroneous political takes. Um, you know, writing at speed—that's that, my excuse. But um, yeah, no, that was a, that was a, that was a that was a good, very good fun time. And are there any particular erroneous political takes that that, that stay oh, with you? God, so many to make. Well, David David Miliband as one, I think, was the one, was the one that kicked it off. Although that wasn't my that wasn't my that wasn't my fault. I bought at the bottom. I, I, I built like I built a trap door at the bottom of the article, and it was like David Miliband has won, hasn't he? Question mark. And of course, Sean Simon pulled out, pulled out. They said, "No, no, you either say it or you don't." So I said, "All right, let's say it." And of course, that that was that was it. And you know, ever since then, I've been been famed for my my very accurate uh, powers of political persuasion. I mean, if, you put, and if you put enough stuff out there, I mean, it's like going down the bookies, isn't it? You can't. You're going to get it wrong more than you're going to get it right because of the oh, sheer volume well, like, of prediction. Yeah, I mean, but that's the point. That's the point. I mean, the thing. The thing for me was, I mean, you know, and obviously, uh, I, I still regard myself as sort of someone who's, who's relatively new to this. But the thing that I that always slightly frustrated me when I was reading political commentary myself was you, you would read some of the you know some of the great political commentators, and you would read this wonderful thousand word, word thesis and for 900 words of it it would be about you know this is why i think this thing is going to happen politically and then the last hundred words were yeah but it might not and this is why it <laughs> might not happen and i always thought oh come on guys you know it's, if you're gonna do it do it so yes. yeah you sometimes get it right sometimes you get it wrong but obviously you started off in labor circles uh you know working for a labor mp writing for labor on cut many of us over the last 10, 15 years, have had a very um, a changing, a changing relationship with the Labour Party, to put it mildly. How do you feel about Labour now? Um, well, I mean, compared to obviously what preceded it, I mean, it's just you know, it's just it's just chalk and chalk and cheese. Um, I actually think, I, I mean, I think there are a, a couple of stages. I think it's like I said, I don't think. Uh, hand on heart, I don't think you can honestly say there is the same energy dy dynamism nor the same sort of structure and 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 and, and sort of direction and and, and and proper guidance to the Starmer project, to the 
to the same way there was uh, there was under under New Labour. That said, I mean, I do think he personally over the last six months has become. I mean, I wrote about this a few, a few weeks ago. He personally has clearly become much much bolder um, in terms of you know picking up the party and, and moving it further to the centre, which is what I think he needs to do. Obviously, other people will, will, will you know fiercely disagree, but that's what that's clearly what he's what he's doing. And I think it's quite clear just looking at him, speaking to people around him he has decided the Tories are there for the taking now and he wants to take them out and take them out completely. And he's not just going to sit in and just hope that they, they lose the election. And I think that is, um, that's the, that's the right strategy. Um, I think the question is now, you know, we're all still looking at Labour to an extent through the prism. Is this, is this, is this the leader? Is this the party? Is this the shadow cabinet that can win the next election? My own view, you know, a lot of things can still happen. Um, but I, I just at the moment can't see how the Tories just get themselves out of the hole they're in. And I think, you know, over the next few weeks and months, Starmer start thinking about and presenting and Labour are going to have to start thinking about how they govern. And if and, and at the moment, I think there are still a lot of gaps that need to be filled in there. I mean, it was interesting. I was chatting to one of the um, one of the it was actually one of the Tory Tory spads, uh, Tory, I can't remember if it was spad or minister, who said to me before Christmas, the, one of the things they're clinging to is they look back at the Labour sort of the shadow front bench under Blair. And obviously you've got Blair, you've got Brown, you've got Dewar, you've got Cook, um, you've got Prescott, you've got you, but people who are big heavyweights. Now it could be, I don't know whether it's a product of, you know, people like me and you, we always look back at, you know, this golden age where we were there and, you know, and it's just... Um, you know, obviously, a lot of a very able people, a lot of talented people on the front bench. Does the Labour, does the shallow front bench currently have the heft, the stature, the status, the weight of that shadow cabinet? I, I, I can't honestly say I think it does at the moment, but obviously, we haven't actually seen them really setting out their perspectives for government. So as as that progresses, maybe that maybe that will happen. But but the key thing is, obviously, compared to the madness of you know a couple of years ago, it's it's not even comparable. No, and I guess. Does Liz Truss compare to Margaret Thatcher? Does Rishi Sunak compare well, I think to no. Is, I, think we, I think we could definitively answer that one. And I don't think the jury's out there. What Labour does have, I mean, we're both football fans. What Labour does have, it almost feels like, um, I mean, Starmer often gets compared to Southgate, and I can see why. But you'd also say that it has a kind of, you know, if you're looking for Foden's and Bellingham's, then people, as well as, you know, Rachel Reeves, but coming talents like Bridget Phillipson and, and West Streeting and Peter Kyle, it feels as if, though, not just this generation, but maybe maybe the exciting thing for Labour is in five years' time, these people will have really developed into, into really quite special political talents. Yeah, I think that's right. I think there certainly is talent there. I mean, I was, I was actually literally having this conversation with somebody the other day about, again, using the using the football analogy. I mean, I think the one concern I would have, just again, and we've actually got obviously got the reshuffle coming up, so I'd be interested to see what he does. Um, it was the Shadow Cabinet reshuffle. Um, I just wonder if the best talent is currently in the best place in the Labour Party. So you look at somebody like Wes, for example, who <clears throat> I think you know everybody across the political spectrum is, is impressed by. He's sitting in health at the moment. As you know, the safest, most comfortable brief for a Labour politician is the health brief. He's going to come in. I mean, he's talking, he's obviously talking very impressively about, about reform, radical reform, blah, 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 taking on the BMA, et cetera. 
we all know that when Labour comes into government, that is just going to get pushed aside. Labour is going to, you know, Rachel Reeves is going to have to get shed loads of money. She's going to have to chuck it at a health service. They're going to have to spend their way out of the current current crisis. You know, taking on the the the, the, the BMA, taking on the, the nursing unions, that's that's for the birds. That's not going to happen. It, you know, if, if if Wes tries it, Keir will call him and say, you know, Wes, let's just let's just keep things quiet on health. We don't want we don't want to row about health. I'm just so so the, the analogy I was saying, you know, people like him, similarly Bridget Phillipson, education again, you know, currently working on some quite radical education reform plans. Is Keir Starmer going to want his first five years to be defined by a fight with the teachers? No, he's not. So that he's got people there with 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 quite significant radical reforming energy. Are they sitting in the, the best briefs? And I think at the moment there's a, there's a bit of there's a bit of to use the football notes. It's a bit like playing Haaland in central midfield. You know, has he got? Is he deploying his best people in the best positions? That I think that's one of the things I think it's going to be interesting to see going forward. And how do you feel about the party? As a thing, I mean, were you ever one of those people that got romantic about it? I, I'm guessing perhaps not. But did you ever feel like, oh, the Labour Party is this great thing and it's you know, the best way to change the country? Or have you always had a kind of pragmatic view of political parties? No, I mean, I always, I mean, I always, always had the view that the, the people's sort of love. Uh, if I ever met anybody who says I love the Labour Party, right? Frankly, you know, I'd smile and humour them. But when you're saying you love a political party, I mean, that's a little bit odd. I mean, you know, no disrespect to, you know, and obviously people give, you know, a lot of committed people who put a lot of work in for the Labour Party and for, for you know, for, for almost exclusively the right reasons. But it, it is a bit odd. And, you know, we, I mean, obviously we were talking about the, the you know, we touched on the, the, the you know, the, the madness of the last few years. I mean, we, we rightly we touched on the cult of Corbyn, right? But you and I saw firsthand the cult of Blair and the cult, of, you know, and the Blair cult has had their moments as well. You know, there was a moment you said anything bad about Tony and it was like, right, off to the, you know, off, off to the ducking stool for them. And what I found was, I mean, I think it's broader than, you know, I, you the, the, the people's sort of if, once you find yourself loving a political party and looking for you know the leader of the political party to be these heroic you know, these heroic figures you're getting yourself into a pretty difficult place because i mean i, I saw it with blair i mean you know obviously, obviously i was a bought and paid up member of you know car member of new labor saw blair and the blair government lose the way saw it end in what frankly is you know i still believe is you know the, the, the horror show that was iraq which was just you know without being political it was just a, a, an absolute horror show and that's where i suddenly realized if you're investing so much in political projects and the leads of those political projects you are ultimately going to be disillusioned and if you are disillusioned ultimately that's going to be your fault not theirs and it's again to use the football analogy. There were always elements of Labour, like we were like Newcastle. You know, we had a Messiah complex. We were looking for our Keegan. You know, we were you know we were looking for um, you know some someone to come down from the mountain and lead us to the promised land. And it kind of happened, but it didn't. You know, it, it ended in tears. And it's and the point is, it's always going to end in tears. So, and I think you just have to realise that. <clears throat> and then, how do you feel about the party post Corbyn? Then because. Um... You know, my fear for the Labour, just in terms of a political observer, really, as an outsider during the Corbyn era, was that the damage to the Labour Party was so profound and so deep 
that it might never recover. And and I think it's a real tribute to Keir Starmer's personality, to his character, to political skill that, I mean, obviously the Tories have imploded, but they actually they'd imploded multiple times during the Corbyn years. But to, to take them from 2019 to the point where we are talking about Labour as the next government, now whether that happens or not, there's a long way to go and all the rest of it. But the fact that he's managed to do that is testament to him. But but what about the party underneath him? I mean, do you think that the, that the public still have a, a wariness of Labour after everything that went on? Yeah, I think the public do have a wariness uh, of, of Labour, and I think the public are right to have a wariness of, of Labour. I mean, you know, as I've said, credit where credit's due to where Keir Starmer has taken Labour politically, and obviously, you know, there is there are there are efforts being made now to drive out <clears throat> the last sort of rancid vestiges of of, 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 of of the Corbynite run rump, and there and that's been done quite effectively. But I do think <clears throat> in the, the the sort of uh, the excitement of where Labour is p- positioned now politically. I do think people are going to, certainly when Labour gets into government, are going to need to step back a bit and just be a little bit, have a little bit of more introspection in the same place at the moment about where Labour found itself. Because, you know, I, I mean, I was obviously heavily criticised for, for the time. The, 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 the stain of anti-Semitism and everything that was around that and the sort of the hard left, the, the, the vicious hard left political radicalism that, un, that underpinned it, that that wasn't just a rather that wasn't just an unfortunate aberration for the for for the Labour Party. That was a that was a moment of of absolute shame. And you know, I speak you know occasionally I bump into some of the uh, some of the um, you know the group of Labour MPs who you know obviously resigned you know made the the ultimate move resigned their seats that were not to plan this and stood again and basically gave up their political careers. And a lot of them are quite bitter. Um, not just about whether they're bitter towards Starmer because this thing is, well, where was Keir when we were making the stand? He was sitting in the shadow cabinet alongside Jeremy Corbyn, you know, looking the other way. And that criticism is fair. That is fair. Now, you know, Keir Starmer's done a lot. He's obviously very committed to um, getting the, the the elements of of, 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 of um, anti-Semitism and all those elements out of the party. But he was missing in action at the time. And basically the, the entire Labour movement, frankly, was... Apart from some very honourable exceptions, was 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 uh, was missing in action. So that is something that is going to need to be addressed, not just on a political level, not just so that people um, understand, uh, you know, Labour's can be trusted and electable, but just in terms of just 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 showing that when Labour, you know, talks about, you know. Uh, you know, being inclusive and fighting racism and, uh, you know, and diversity and multicultural and all that sort of stuff, it, it's actually prepared to put its money where its mouth is. <clears throat> Obviously, over the last few years, with, with the yeah, sort of uh, your, your take on Labour politics as it is in the social media age uh, has led to you, you know, getting slews of abuse online. <laughs> uh, does that get to you or are you pretty robust about that sort of thing? No, I mean, I think you know any of us who are, who are in the public, you know, we've we've all got to say, oh no, it doesn't bother me. I mean, you know, it, none of us like being told we're, you know, I won't I won't say it on it, but you get it as well, so you know what it's like. And none of us look at that and think, oh, brilliant. Um, but I mean, the, the, the things I the thing I would say, I, I think as a firstly, I think we we are overly overly obsessed with 
social media. I mean, we, we're sort of eating ourselves alive on this, but we, we're talking about it. So let's go. Let's go with it. Um, I think it, certainly in terms of what I do, I think it is it is good. I mean, it is good for me as a writer that I now engage. It's good for me to engage with people on what I write. I, 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 you know, just if you're listening to this, it'd be I'd really love you to engage with what I write, not just the headline. But that's just, you know, but uh, anyway, that's my plea. Um, but I, I think that's good. And I think it makes all of us who do this do this better. And I think it's good that we, you know, we're not in a position where we just hand down our views, you know, for the mountaintop and then nobody can can engage with. It. I think that's so that's the positive. Obviously, it's good for getting the um, getting around to quite a, your, 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 your articles and views around to a diverse audience. I do think, though, and I, I, you know, I've seen this again. I'm, I still think I'm relatively new, but there are a lot of people who I see, you know, meet who are getting into writing, who are who are much newer to it than me, and I do think they find it find it hard. I think young journalists, even some very experienced journalists, do find the constant abuse, not just the abuse, you know. For, for, the, the biggest, you know, one of the biggest crimes in society at the moment is getting ratioed. And what does getting ratioed mean? It means just you've said something that a, a lot of people don't don't agree with. Well, that's part of what commentary and writing and debate is about. If all we're doing is saying things that each of us agrees with, then there's no there's no there's no point in it. And I think I have noticed that a lot of very good writers, and again, some of them are quite experienced. You can just see it; they're starting to write for Twitter. They start to write for social media. You can see areas where they've pulled their punches or they've included a line. I've done it myself. I've done it myself. You know, times I've written something, I've suddenly thought, I don't actually believe that. I'm just writing that because I think that'll stop Twitter being nasty to me or I think that's what Twitter wants here. And then I've, you know, taken it out. And that's the, I, I think that is that is the danger, the way that, 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 that we within the media are as a result of social media are increasingly un under pressure to, pressure to self-centered because the biggest, the biggest difficulty for, for a variety of factors is when you become a commentator is, is what you think and actually getting what you think out on, on, onto the page, because you have to center and sense, you have to sense yourself. There are certain conventions in terms of language, you, you know, people think you can use, you can't use anymore. And that's the minefield you have to negotiate and, and, and social media does throw quite a lot of obstacles in, in, in the way, but, it kind of it, it's 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 the job you know if you if you if you really are worried about people reacting in a negative way to something you say on social media then maybe the media commentary isn't really the gig for you and maybe you should be i don't know maybe you should be thinking something else without in any way excusing any of the abuse that people get or whatever um you know i just I, I, that's kind of where i come from when i know how uh, i feel when i get ratioed which for people who aren't very online that's basically when you a particular tweet gets a lots of lots of replies basically you think oh god this is uh effectively there are more replies yeah, than there are retweets, you worry about it you worry about it too much you see that's the thing you take it too seriously see i just i just chuck this stuff out there i just chuck this stuff out there some of it you know i get ratioed <laughs> twice a day three times a day it's fine ryan reynolds here from mint mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. They've designed must-have travel styles for when you need to jet. The lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit makes these shoes some of the most packable styles ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Take the Super Light Tree Runner on your next adventure. Its cushy, lightweight foam midsole supports every step, and the extra outsole traction gives you the grip to just go for it. The eucalyptus fiber upper adds next-level breathability to keep you going all day. Plus, the Super Light Tree Runner is comfortable and ready to go right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Super Light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. He's ever, I mean, you're, you're pretty fearless. I think I am as well. It's just that, it's just occasionally, it's that sinking feeling of going, oh God, you know, am I going to be today's punch bag on Twitter? And that's that's never a pleasant feeling. But it, it, it's ever part of the dread that actually your employer might not, stand behind you. I mean, people might presume actually the Mail on Sunday would be quite a robust defender of it. I mean, that's, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, people can criticise, you know, the Mail, whatever, but, but, but the newspaper, my editors, I mean, that is one of the, one of the best things about, you know, you know, I have a degree of, you know, I have, you know, if I can be in, 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 you know, with, with obviously certain, you know, you know, parameters, I can't be excessively abusive or, or whatever, but I've got licence to pretty much say what I like. And you know they will they will stand by me, and I, I, I do think. I mean, this is the other thing. I mean, you know, again, it's it's I, I, you can't have a rational debate about this, but we do live now in an era where, on both left and right, there is a desire to basically shut shut down views that people don't agree with, um, uh, wrong than engage and in a lot of instances i mean again we know this historically you know it comes from the best of motives you know we we you know i grew up in an era where there were you know things were on tv that would be anathema to us now and and things that were just supposed to be a joke or whatever or it's just a laugh laugh it off obviously would be completely socially unacceptable now but equally i do think in a desire to the desire to have a more inclusive society and a more inclusive debate we are now becoming increasingly intolerant. There's, there's, there's a sort of, there is a liberal and cons- not just conservative purience now, but a liberal purience that you can see creeping in into debate. There is a desire to, to, to censor, to, to ki- you know, to kill off um, legitimate discussion. Look, I don't think any of us would, would agree with what Clarkson wrote the other day. But when you see MPs standing up saying, you know, we need to change the law so that, well, so that people can presumably be imprisoned for writing what he wrote, then we're on a slippery slope. And I think, I think everybody, obviously no, nobody will, um, you know, it's, it, it, it's not a plea that's going to be honoured, but we all have to step back 
And it, you know, I think I think it's a difficult decision because we are actually going to have to take a we're going to have to take a decision, which is, do we want to live in a society where we hear reprehensible views, but balance that by the fact that we live in a, a society in which we can have free and open and honest debate, even though we may not like what elements of that debate are, or do we want to curtail and censor and suppress certain views because we think they have a malign influence on society but understand that if we do that then ultimately as part of that we are going to end up centering legitimate views as well and you know you hear this stuff and again the, the you know this stuff about centering stuff that 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 is legal but harmful i mean again you're getting into very very dodgy political and and and, and sort of sort of principle debates because you, you, you'll get this as well. Um, you know, we we used to think back in the day we used to think this was easy, right? Because it was easy, like you you know, you had a guy with a swastika walking up the high street. You think, right? Well, he's you know, NF guy. Well, you shouldn't be here, mate, right? So you know, we don't want you in. As you well know, since the, because the debates become so polarized on both sides, you know, you and I now, are, 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 you know, every week or so, I'm told I'm like some evil hate hate mongering racist who needs to be stamped out so what you know where do we where do we I mean, we're good guys aren't we aren't we <laughs> oh, God, I don't know. we're the good guys aren't we are we the baddies now you know what but you know what I, mean? you know, I don't think anybody objectively would say you and i are particularly hate-filled human beings um but so i so you know obviously i just may disagree but but so you know i think that 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 is a that is a problem and I, you know and, and where we land on that is going to be one of the biggest issues i think for the next next decade or so and just thinking about some of the other pressures on on political commentators and on you personally if, if one is that you occasionally think oh am i writing for social media is the other pressure that the effectively the desire for clickbait and i don't think maybe this doesn't affect you as much but looking at the sort of things that where people are just constantly trying to go viral all the time that actually th- th- there's a sort of cheapening of the quality of journalism on on social media yeah to an extent i mean i think look i mean i get it you know i get i mean i again get told oh this is just clickbait and i have to say no, actually you know what is worse than that i do actually believe i believe this stuff <laughs> um uh but yeah i mean there's obvious pressure for that i think we can all see it though uh, you know i think uh, i'm not gonna embarrass anybody by name but we can we, we all know who, who who plays that game and again, it comes back to the it comes back to the point I was making. You, if you if you get yourself in the position where you're saying I am writing this because I think it will get X or Y reaction, as opposed to I'm writing this because it's what I actually think, then you're already lost in the weeds, and you're already you're you're already losing losing the way. Your way. I mean, the other thing I would say is to all the people who you know decry clickbait, don't click. <laughs> you, know, we have this, you know we have this thing about oh god it's terrible it's clickbait and all these you know and they're just another troll and whatever well they only do it because you respond to it and the reality is you know what anybody ever want anyone says the reality is everybody runs around saying oh we want evidence-based debate and we want you know we want we want proper argument we want facts and all that sort of stuff no you don't nobody no, you don't really most of you don't want that what you want is your own worldview reinforced and that's on both sides of the debate and you know we we live in a much more tribal 
tribal era and the loudest people are the ones who simply not no interest in, in 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 any sort of actual discussion or analysis they just want their viewpoint upheld and they want their side to win which is fine and i understand it and i used to be you know back in the day when i was working for labor that's that, that, that's how i was but it, that's not what you do when you're a commentator and i and i do still think despite that there is a block of people a, a significant block of people in the middle who do want to uh, obviously everyone's got their own views who do want to engage who do want to listen to all the different arguments and, and engage in a relatively constructive and, and, and respectful way and how much freedom do you have at the mail on sunday to just write whatever you like I have complete freedom. I mean, like I said, I can't, you know, I can't be, I can't be excessively abusive and, you know, etc. Um, you know, if I wanted, if I wanted to sort of have a platform to extol the virtues of Jeremy Corbyn and the Corbynite project, I, you know, maybe I'd probably have to look to a different platform than the than the mail, but 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 I but I don't I don't I don't think that anyway. And there's never. You know, say hand on heart. I know it's there, isn't it? <laughs> That's where it's the side. Um, I say hand on heart. You know, nobody believes it, but again, it's true. Um, there's never been a time when anyone's tried to influence influence what I what I write. And you know, again, I'm, I'm really sorry, but I do genuinely believe this stuff. Without sounding uh, wanky, like, do you have a process? Do you have a kind of uh... A, a, a structure during the week where you think oh, I'm going to decide on a thing. I'm going to narrow it down to three things. Right about that, and then within the article, I have a particular. You know what? What is a kind of um, Dan Hodges masterclass for writing a, a, a political? Yeah, article? I mean, I do have a process, but as with every process, it always falls apart um, very rapidly, and then I just have to like scrabble around. I mean, the, the the point about obviously there's the discipline of writing for a writing for a Sunday newspaper so you you have to try and to an extent come up with a, a perspective that's slightly new um the, the practicalities of it are that you have to sort of establish ideas um you know with your editorial team relatively early in the week but by the end of the week obviously the, the political agenda might have changed i mean what i try to do is i always try to get about two or three um ideas about something that i want to write about um I usually have one thing that I'm, I'm keener on. I'll, I'll say to my editors, look, this is this is where I'm thinking of going. Is there anything you think I should be covering? And then it, it, it generally generally arises out of um, arises out of that. And if you like pitch an idea, do they ever say, "Oh, sorry, someone else is already writing that"? You're gonna have to write about. Yeah, sometimes. Else. I mean, we always got a lot of people. There's, there's times saying, "Well, I think someone else is covering it," or it may be better if somebody else covers covers that. Sometimes they may think. I, I don't think that's an idea for this week. You know, maybe they think there's something more that there's something more current, or it's something that might might sit better in a couple of weeks. And, and that's part of it. You know, you want to try and you know don't want to be the you don't want to be the journalistic equivalent of Rishi Sunak. You know, banging on about banging on about you know maths. <laughs> When the nation's up in arms about you know wants to hear what you're going to do on strikes and you know strikes and God knows, uh, you know, cost of living, it, it, you know, etc. Um, so you've got to try. You want to try and be relevant and current, whilst obviously attempting to sort of move the agenda forward or bring in a bring in a different perspective. So that's part of the trick, and that's why you've got. You know, obviously, we all sit there, and you know, we're all very, you know, you, 
you pitch an idea and you think it's a brilliant idea but you know we, we have editors for a reason and they're they're you know they're always they always prove to be right on this sort of stuff so yeah that's how that's how we sort of uh, manage it something people may not know about you is that you lost the sight in one eye uh intervening in a in a fight in a pub in 1992, obviously 31 yeah, was, years quite, ago. Yeah, quite close to the election. Uh, what happened? Uh, I, I was in a pub with some uh, in a pub with some mates. Uh, there was an altercation between me, uh, not me, an altercation between a friend of mine and, and someone across the bar. Um, at, at the time, we thought there might have been a racial element to it. I don't. I don't actually think that think there was. I got up to sort of try and put myself in between the two people, uh, tried to act as peacemaker, did an absolutely appalling job, um, turned away and just got, and, and just, just got hit. Um, uh, and, and, and that was it. I mean, it wasn't any more sort of dramatic or heroic than that, to be honest. But it, it was a horrific thing to go. I mean, you must've been pretty young at the time. Yeah, I was. I mean, the, I mean, the point is, Obviously, nobody wants anything like that to happen to you. It's obviously, you know, a terrible experience when you go through it. But to be honest, we're quite robust when we're young. You know, we bounce. <laughs> you know, we bounce physically. We bounce emotionally. And it, you know, it was. But you know, I had a, you know, I had a good, good group of friends around me. I had, a, you know, strong family group around me. You know, I'm going to be completely honest with you. I mean, as you said, it happened in '92. The election was coming up. I was so focused on the election. I thought, oh, fuck, I, don't, I hope I'm not going to miss the election because of this. <laughs> um, uh, you know, and, you know, you, you, you know, it was, it was bad, but you, you, you get two, you get, you get two for a reason. You know, <laughs> you get two, you get two of these things for a reason. So, yeah. It was, uh, you just don't ever intervene nice ever again. Or, or no. only intervene. I, no, I don't. No, I don't. No, I don't. I just, in any, any slight, any sort of, actual conflict situation you'll find me running the opposite direction you know that's my that's what i took from that the temptation would be to try and extrapolate some political legacy from it to say actually that gave you a um that stopped you being a kind of namby pamby liberal about crime and and really um gave you a a, a direct experience of how cruel the world can be and, a, and that effectively burnished a kind of pragmatic centrism but would, would that be overreaching yeah. That would be massively <laughs> Yeah, sorry. None of that. I'm sorry. I'm just I'm just not that sorry, mate. I'm just not that deep. I'm not that I wish I was. You know, maybe I'm gonna go away. Maybe I'll go away and have a think later on and maybe, <laughs> you know, I'll sort of psychoanalyze that. Or actually maybe I'll just I'll maybe I'll just maybe how many people listen to your podcast? Maybe I'll just pretend. Maybe I'll just adopt that now and just pretend. Millions of people listen. Millions, millions every oh, day. Oh well that's 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 torn that. Yeah. But I always thought, you know, having an experience of because I grew up in a rough area, and that definitely affected my view of crime. So when I would go to Labour Party meetings in more middle-class parts of the country, and they would worry about perhaps more that, you know, as I did, why people commit crime, but but less emphasis on victims, perhaps. I would say to them, have you ever been burgled? Have you ever been mugged? Have you ever had a knife pulled you on, on you in the street? And those people often hadn't, whereas I had. I say, when you've actually been in this situation, it makes you desperate for the police. Now, whatever the problems with the police, and I totally understand that as a white man, however disadvantaged I was economically growing up, I don't, I never had to deal with the police racially abusing me. But nevertheless, it definitely, in sort of later life, I've, I've perhaps reflected on, I say that, 40. But, you know, uh, it, it definitely made me think, actually, that those experiences in youth of 
experiencing crime in a very direct way definitely, in effect, made me more New Labour than perhaps I might have otherwise been. Yeah, I mean, I think I think there's something in that. I mean, for me, it wasn't so much. I mean, I wouldn't I, generally. I mean, joking aside, I mean, I, I couldn't really sort of pin any sort of great sort of political um, political epiphany to to, to to that particular incident. Um, I mean, I think for me, more broad, where, where I think you're right, though, and I think you've probably got sort of. I mean, simple where we 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 sort of probably align on this is obviously I you know I came from a you know a, a, a you know wonderfully as. I mean, I mean this. I'm not trying to be so cute here, but I mean, obviously, I you know, I'm not daft. You know, I had a very privileged, uh, you know, middle class upbringing. But w- within that, I mean, as I said, I had a, a, an extended family who, you know, ha- you know, very much retained my sort of my mum's sort of northern sort of northwest sort of working class perspective. My dad's similarly. And also, I did actually go. You know, everybody boasts about <laughs> trust and boast about this, but it's true. Me, I, I actually went to a sort of local local comprehensive. It's you know, people now fight over trying to say how terrible their school was because it gives them credit. But I mean, I generally did. And you know, and, and my friend, you know, I wasn't hanging around with you know like the the sons of Oscar winning actresses. I was you know it was just you know sort of you were friend. the son of an Oscar winning actress. Uh, well, I was. Other I, people I was were the, hanging around with you. Yeah, exactly. So that, but uh, so you know, my friend was just from South London, and, and uh, you know, South again, it was, and and so I think because of that, you had a sort of slightly more working class perspective. And I think you know, we were talking about Labour and, and, and past and, and present. I do think the one uh, the one thing I do think that, that is going to need to be addressed is. I think New Labour, successful though it was, and it was actually kind of a, a, a product of its success. A big part of the whole New Labour project was moving away from our traditional base to more, you know, middle class. You know, reaching out to more middle class voters, parts of the country that hadn't voted Labour traditionally. Um, and I think, as a result of that, and you can see it now with Keir, you know, God bless him, Labour is very much is very much a middle class product now i mean it's a it's a middle class party there are good elements of that i, I don't buy into this everything, everything everyone who's middle class is you know just some woke liberal who should be dismissed but i, I do think there are areas of, of policy and labor areas of labor's debate where middle class uh, working class voices are if not looked down on are slightly excluded and there's an attempt to reinterpret reinterpret a working class worldview in a way that aligns with a policy agenda that and and and, and an outlook that that, that that middle that middle class people people want and it, and it doesn't all as you know it doesn't always work like that there are a lot of policy areas where rightly or wrong wrongly the middle middle class elements of labor become detached from huge swathes of working class britain and, and, and a realignment needs to take place there and it can't just be economic that has to be a part of it. It's got to be a significant part of it. There has to be a, a sort of a cultural realignment as well. And I think whilst whilst Labour is much more comfortable in looking at the economics realignment there, when it comes to cultural elements and elements like you said, law and order, then it then suddenly Labour goes, "Oh, I'm not, I'm not. Too, yeah, we want a bit. We, we we want to represent working class, but." Not that's not 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 like that. Not like that. Uh, in other other bits, other other bits, you know. And and I I think that's that's something that um, the party's going to have to look at. You wrote a brilliant book about the 2015 election called One Minute. To oh, you read it? Thank you. Oh, you're, the, you're, the, one, well, you're the one that you're the one that bought it. You're the one that bought it. Excellent. I went into a I went into a I went into a book, I went into a bookshop like I, I went into a bookshop like a couple of weeks ago, 
And my wife said to me, oh, look, you're, it's not good. They've got your book. I said, what do you mean it's good? I wrote it, I wrote it about seven years ago. <laughs> I haven't sold it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank oh, you. I think it's a good sign because then it means they must have, someone must have bought it and then they only buy books. They only have books on display that they sell. So that means uh, people have continued. Uh, thank you. Buying. That's that's sugarcoating it. It's not the fact that the fact that book's been sitting on the shelf in in in, in Blue Water Waterstones for seven years is not a good sign. It's not a good sign. But it is a great book, and people should buy thank it. And, and there is a link in the in the blurb so that people can buy it. And it captures the drama of those individuals awaiting their fate, and and the great sort of um, effectively your book helped inform people's understanding of that night, which was. David Cameron's writing his resignation speech, Ed Miliband's writing his acceptance speech, and then the exit poll comes out and the, the whole thing's very different. So when you're writing a book like that in that style, obviously there's a certain element of dramatic license, but in a way you made it difficult for yourself because you needed sources from all parties. And were they were they easy to come by? Yeah, I mean, it's I mean that's I mean, that's one of the a bit look, when you when you have a have a national platform, a national newspaper column, then people, you know, it will open doors to you. People will speak to you. Um, they may not want to speak to you, but they feel they've got to. So there's there's part, you know, that's that's a that's a that's a part of it. I mean, I think one of the things, you know, I suppose it partly comes down to my uh, a number of things, because I saw it through my mum and I saw it working at Parliament. This idea that people in different political parties are all evil people who, you know, the Tories all they they just hate the poor and they want to kill poor people and sell off the NHS. I completely understand why people like to peddle that, but it's just not true. So that's fun. And I've you know I've met a lot of Tories, a lot of you know people from the SNP, DUP, whisper it. Even some nice Lib Dems. Um, I'm joking, Lib Dems. You're, you're lovely people. So, so, but when I was working, I mean, one of the things I was going back to when I was working at Parliament, the good thing about that 92 to 97 period, everybody knew by the end, sort of halfway through, Labour was going to win. Like Blair was going to win. So that 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 sort of anger and sort of viciousness, the Tories had given up. The Tories weren't scared by Labour. So actually, in a social basis. You know, we'd all go in the pub, we'd all go in the red line on a Friday night and there'd be Labour researchers there, Tory researchers there, and we'd all hang out together. And as a product of that, you really, just get to know each other. So in terms of engaging with people, you know, outside of what was traditionally my tribe, that's never been a that's never been a problem for me. I mean, obviously, a lot of people think it is a problem and I'm some sort of sellout or whatever, and fair enough. But that was, you know, so no, that was that was something I was I was fortunately able to do. And did any of the people that you write about ever get in touch and say... How did you know that? Or it didn't happen like that? Or you bastard? No, because none of them read it. None of them read it. Um, so in terms of the book, um, I, I mean, I frequently, obviously, in terms of the column, getting get people ringing up early and all sorts of uh, all sorts of abuse at me um, for things I do and don't know and write and don't write and that they say I've got wrong. But and again, you know, that's part of where you know we were talking about the social media thing. That's part of where that, that actually comes quite comes in quite handy. You you constantly getting people from all sides trying to try to pressure you into writing things, the things that they want you to write, rather than the things that you actually think. And that is what you know. Ninety percent of the job is is having to resist that, you know, rightly or wrongly. Um, I mean, obviously, you want to get you know, you want to have good sources, you want everything to be good source. We all make mistakes, you know. We all get told things by. Um, 
by sources that, that you know that turn out subsequent subsequently to be wrong but you know that, that that's that that's the nature of the business um but you know that's as i said you know understanding that people if you want to be a writer you've got to understand a lot of people aren't gonna like what you're right and has it given you a desire to 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 write another book i mean just thinking it might not even be about the election which the next election might be close it might have a surprising outcome there's a whole number of things that may or may not happen um given the way that politics and the polling is going do you think oh, i'd like to write another one like that or a, a, maybe fiction I w- yeah i mean i would i'd like to um i, I would like to write another political book I'd, I'd like to do uh i'd like to do a work of fiction as well in fact I, i'm actually currently working on a work of fiction at the moment but i'm not going to say anything about it at the moment because i'm i'm only halfway through it and it's so complete the premise is so completely insane you wouldn't believe it if i told you so because it's so, so nothing to do with politics I'll, I'll come back on and i'll tell you i'll give you i'll, I'll let you help promote it when it, it maybe we'll get someone to read that one um but no i would like to do i, I would like the color problems it's such a crowded field um i mean you got I, I say it's a crowded field i mean actually i mean you've got We've obviously got like you know you had Harry Harry Cole and James Hill's books come out and has gone down a storm. Tim Shipman's books, you know, every one of them is a, a must read, and and they cover so much space. The thing, I, the thing, if I was going to write another book, you know, I think you have to bring in you have to bring a degree of insight into something and show people something that that, that they weren't aware of before, and you also have to, I think, you have to bring in a, a degree of a degree of drama that's what i try to do with with my book and the problem is the last few years politics has been so insane and so nuts and so beyond the realms of what any form of dramatic fiction could could possibly be that it's like what can you what value can you add at that can anyone add at the moment you know, I mean, I, you know, I, I tried to say what was a relatively sort of relatively boring bog standard election with some relatively boring bog standard political characters like, you know, Ed and, uh, and, and, and David Cameron and Nick Clegg and tried to bring it to life. Well, I mean, but how can any, how, if you're going to drama, you know, I understand Pete, there are people looking at dramatising elements of um, what's been happening over the last few years. How can you, how can anybody dramatize this what we've just what we've all just lived through and what yeah. if uh, and it might not be a labor politician it might be a tory or a lib dem or a, a politician that you liked and agreed with said i want you to be my press spokesman or my my head of media would that sort of thing ever appeal uh at the moment i would say no because i'm just loving what i'm doing and it's such a fascinating time to be writing about um about politics um obviously james forsyth has just kind of nicked that gig hasn't he i mean he's kind of done that so he's so i might see how james pans out for james first and then and then see um i can't see at the moment but you know never never say never you know kid picks up the phone (laughs) you know uh rishi picks up the phone after his dramatic win you know boris uh, who does? I can't see it happening, but you know, ne- never say never. Never say never. I mean, obviously, we, we, we've uh, touched on earlier, you know, how how so many political predictions are, are, are turn out to be false. Do you think Boris will ever come back? I I don't. Um, I, I think there's you know the, the next six months is going to uh, unless he literally comes up and does a speech and completely rules it out. 
Um, but then if he, even if he does that, no one will believe him. Um, it, he, uh, the next six months is going to be dominated by, you know, Boris, will he, won't he? I mean, that's a whole thing that's going to, again, just completely pull the rug out from mm. poor Rishi. Um, I don't think he will because the thing for all, the thing that all prime ministers and particularly former prime ministers obsess about more than anything else is their legacy. And whether you like it or not, and I think a lot of people won't like it, Boris's legacy is assured now. He's locked in right at, at, at the moment. He will always be able to say, won a selection when people said I couldn't, uh, saw off Corbyn, got us through COVID, took the lead on Ukraine. Was I was gonna I was gonna start getting the grips with all the other stuff, and they threw me out. Look what happened to the Conservative Party after I was ditched. We were five points behind, then we went to thirty points behind. Everything fell apart. For him to come back, it would have to be in circumstances where the Tories are so desperate they think we've got nothing to lose. And in those circumstances, why would Boris want to come back? I mean, he will not come back if he thinks he's going to lose a general election to Keir Starmer, because in those circumstances, at that point, his legacy, Boris, the the magician, uh, gets destroyed. So I think there'll be a, I think there'll be a lot of there'll be the local elections. They'll do terribly in the local elections. There'll be a big Boris come back. Boris come back. I think we'll have a little bit of what we had, you know, with the has he got a hundred names? Sort of, sort of. Uh, sort of playing a bit of footsie, but I, I just can't see it. I really don't think because I don't think he wants to do it. Also, I mean, he's earning he's earning a shed load of money out there, and I think he wants to keep earning a shed load of money. I think he probably does. Uh, Dan, this has been such a treat. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me, mate. Well, there you go, Dan Hodges. What a fantastic chat! And I always, I'm so. Uh, I'm a real sucker for going, oh, this thing happened and therefore that must have had some political impact on you. And I just think (laughs) maybe sometimes it just didn't. And uh, I think um, perhaps uh, I need to stop trying to (laughs) extrapolate politics from every event in people's lives and go, oh, well, that happened to you. Therefore, that must mean that that gave you a... Uh, you know, a right-wing viewer, a left-wing viewer, a centrist viewer, whatever. But uh, what a fantastic guest. And his book is brilliant. Uh, I'm following him on social media. He's a, a very gifted writer. Um, and thank you for downloading this, um, the first one of the new year. And uh, don't forget to come to the live shows. Emily Maitlis and John Sopel, a.k.a. two-thirds of the news agents on the 23rd of January. Keir Starmer on the 20th of February. Eddie Izzard on the 6th of March. And loads more guests to be announced for the coming year. Um please leave a five-star written review. It helps the show get up the charts and just share it far and wide. Tell your friends and family. Tell strangers in the street about it. And I'll see you next week. ta 